Good morning, church. <laughs> Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, greetings from William Jessup University. Um, we have Stephen and Becky who are alum, and uh, Josh who is up here leading worship this morning as uh, one of our current students. And I think we have a future uh, Jessup student coming in just a, about two months or so. Dylan, uh, Pastor Jeremy's son, is going to be joining us, so we're looking forward to welcoming him uh, to William Jessup. Um, my name is Dave, and um, he did pronounce my last name correctly. It's Heitman, and my wife Melissa is joining me this morning, and we've got uh, three toe-headed kids running around. I don't know where they get their hair color from, um, but they're running around next door, and we, uh, it's just a real pleasure to be here with you. Uh, looking at God's Word this morning. And thank you for your support for Jessup. A lot of exciting things going on there. I oversee Residence Life. We have close to 600 students living on campus. Uh, Now we just completed a brand new residence hall, a brand new state-of-the-art $13 million uh, facility right at the front of campus as you come in with some really interesting architecture and colors and things like that. Um, So you'll have to come and check it out. We also have a number of students coming from overseas next year from China and perhaps South Korea and a few other places. So there's a lot of cool and exciting things that God is is doing. Um, Like was mentioned, uh, we actually just moved back to the States. Uh, We've been serving the Lord as missionaries and church planners in New Zealand the last seven years. And uh, Rockland, California is incredibly hot compared to New Zealand, which I never, in the seven years we were there, I don't think it ever got above 80 degrees. So it's a pleasure to be with you this morning for a number of reasons. It's quite a bit cooler here, so thanks for that. Hey, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at verse, starting in verse 15. And if you have that, if you wouldn't mind standing with me, um, let's read this. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. I'll be reading from the ESV in case you have a different translation. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things together under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that truth this morning, that you are above all, that Jesus, you're the head of this church. And Lord, we pray that as the head turns, the body would follow, that you would enlighten us to the things that are on your heart, the things that are on your mind. Lord, remove any distractions, Lord, that might be weighing on us here this morning, that we would have brought through those Uh, double doors as we entered into your house. Lord, I pray that in the world in which we live that is very confused and uh, chaotic, Lord, there's all sorts of things swirling around. Lord, that we would have your light in our lives shining the way. 
Lord, I pray that your word would become literally a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path, and that your Holy Spirit would be applying it to our lives and speaking life to us here this morning. God, that you just get me out of the way and pray that, uh, Lord, you would glorify yourself and edify your church here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can take a seat. I want to ask you a question. Where were you at this time a year ago? Where were you a year ago today? Can you just think about that for a quick second? Turn to somebody to your left or to your right in front or behind you and tell them, hey, this is where I was a year ago today. You can do that. You can talk in church. It's okay. Do you know where you were a year ago today? (laughs) There's some laughing going on, so I don't know where you were a year ago today. But it sounds like it might have been fun. A year ago today, if you were to tell me a year ago today that I would have been here at this church getting to share with you, I wouldn't have believed you. In fact, we had we weren't even, we didn't know where we were, uh, to be honest. We were in transition. Uh, we had moved to New Zealand with two kids under the age of five. My wife was six months pregnant. We had eight bags, and we missed our connecting flight. We didn't know where we were going after the third night, and that's just the way we sometimes have to trust God, like Abraham going out not knowing where you're going. But that's also the exciting part about following God and trusting Him, because either God's going to provide and show up, or we're sunk. And the good news is that I'm here, so God must have shown up and provided in some way, shape, or form. And this verse has actually been floating around in my wallet for the past year. I can tell you that this sermon was written uh, on May 10th of last year in Fungamata, New Zealand, when I was crying out to the Lord, not knowing where I was going once again. And it's from Ephesians, which the verse we just read, it was in the middle of Paul's prayer there, in case you missed it, Ephesians uh, 17. And the translation that I have, at least the one that's in my Bible, is the one that's on the screen behind me. It's the one that I want to look at here this morning, that God would enlighten the eyes of our minds, literally our hearts, so that we can see what hope his call holds for you. Because when you can't see, you really want to hold on to hope, right? Hope, by definition, is the eager expectation of good things to come. By definition, if it's not already, (laughs) it's still something you're hoping for. If you already have it, you have no need for hope, right? It's present. It's current. It's part of who you are and your experience. But as you sit there sometimes wondering what God is doing with your life, you want to cling to certain verses. And this is a verse that's been in my wallet, and it's something that I think is... um, really apropos to the world in which we live today. In 2010, 253 million prescriptions were written for antidepressants in the United States. That was in 2010. Just to give you some perspective, there are only 311 million people in the U.S. at that time. Antidepressants have become the second highest volume drug in the U.S., second to only cholesterol medication. And I just read recently in CNN in the last six months that it's the number one prescribed drug in the United States. The number of people diagnosed with depression increases 30% every year. And in 2013, someone committed suicide every 12.8 minutes. And for every success, there are over 100 more attempts. C.S. Lewis had a way with words, and he put it this way in his book called The Problem of Pain. He said, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, 
but it's more common and it's also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. And it is easier to say that my tooth is aching rather than to say my heart is breaking. I don't know what's going on in your life, but in a room of this size, I think some of us might be able to relate to that. I know that I certainly can from time to time in my own life. And when I come to verses like this, and when I look at in this amazing book like Ephesians, and all the promises that I have in God, that I'm part of his body, that I've been adopted as one of his kids, I sometimes find myself asking the question, if God wants me to enjoy him, to glorify him, then why is life so hard? I want to serve you, God. Why is this so difficult? Dr. Del Tackett of the Truth Project, maybe you've heard of that, asked this pointed question. He said, do you really believe what you really believe is really real? So all the italicized are really, really. Because you don't know what you really believe is really real until you really need what you really believe to be really real, right? And sometimes you don't know what that is until you've actually, the rubber of your life meets the road of life. And sometimes there's squealing and sometimes there's the smell of burning and a lot of smoke. I'm just speaking to my, I'm just preaching to myself here this morning. Paul gives this amazing prayer to this group of believers in a church that he had started. It was pastored by Timothy, his protege, and later on John the Apostle. It's the only church that was pastored by two apostles. This was the church that Paul spent the most amount of time in, three years it has two, uh, multiple letters written from and to this church. It's a church that was probably one of the most well-taught churches. It was a city that was cosmopolitan in nature. It had comings and goings from literally everywhere in the world. It was a port city. It had a massive library. If you ever get the opportunity to go visit Ephesus on the Turkey coast, go. You can still see the, the double-story library there. It was an amazing place, and yet it had a problem, a serious problem that only Jesus could fix. And Paul plants a church there. If you look at verse 1 of chapter Ephesians, just to give you context, because you can't just pick and choose verses, right? You've always got to read God's Word in context. Somebody once said that if you take the, the text out of the context, you're left with a con. It's a joke. <laughs> but it's true, Right? Paul, this is what we've just read here this morning together is a prayer. It's written by an apostle, Paul. He describes himself in verse 1 as apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesians, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In that order, grace and peace, because you can't know peace unless you first experience God's grace, God's undeserved favor. It's God's riches at Christ's expense, some person once said. And I think that's really true. He begins by saying, you're blessed to be in God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm reading now at verse 4. He's chosen us before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. How amazing is that? It means that no matter what's going on in your life, God knows about it, and you're not a mistake. 
And he doesn't make mistakes. And he doesn't waste time. And he doesn't forget you in the midst of your life and the circumstances and things that you're experiencing or might be going through. God doesn't make cookies to burn. I remember my pastor telling me that one time when I was in college. (laughs) God never makes cookies to burn. He doesn't go to all the trouble to get the bowl out to grab butter and sugar and a little bit of vanilla and mix it together with a little bit of brown sugar and then add flour and baking soda and a pinch of salt and put all that time and trouble to form the cookie and put it on the pan and put it in the oven just to go, oh my goodness, I forgot I had cookies in the oven. I've done that before, but God doesn't. And I know you might be sitting in that point right now. Maybe you're waiting on God for something, maybe something in your work life or your relationships or financial situation and you're like I smell smoke (laughs) and at any point like I've heard the bell going off is God going to get me out of this God never makes mistakes breathing proves purpose if he was done with you he would have sunk your battleship a long time ago consider uh, Acts 17 26 for from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God knows exactly what he's doing. Time and space, all of history, he has formed you, made you, adopted you, brought you into Christ for such a time as this. And I know you're watching the news. And I know you're looking online. And I know you're checking your bank account and you're wondering, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what next year at this time is going to be like. But God does. And that's such an amazing and encouraging thing. That we are purposed in Christ. He even goes on to say, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness, verse 7, of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. What that means in the Greek is a whole lot. (laughs) It literally means God's not holding out on you. He's not doing the bait and switch. He's not leaving a breadcrumb trail for you. He wants to lavish upon you himself. Redemption, grace, forgiveness of sins. He wants to make himself known to you and all the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan from the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. And in him, now Paul's going to continue that doxology, in him we have an inheritance. We've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Are you like as out of breath as I am? Can you imagine like Paul writing that to people who he knew and loved? These were like his kids. He was giving them his best, God's best and saying, you're mine. And I know that's like one of the most profound truths. Understanding God chooses us, predestines us, adopts us. Uh, If you want to get the theology, go to William Jessup. There's some great theology professors. There's the Jessup commercial tied in there. I don't understand how all that works. All I know is I'm glad I'm God's kid. 
All I'm glad to know at three in the morning when I'm on my face not knowing what's going to happen next is that I'm God's kid. I'm his son. You're his sons. You're his daughters. He loves you. And as hard as that is to grasp and tough to internalize, it's a supernatural process. That's why he mentions the Holy Spirit there. And that's why the apostle prays. So all that's the context. This is why he prays that we would be enlightened. This is why he says, I pray that your eyes would be open. And for all the benefits that we have because a certain man in history named Paul lived, planted churches like Ephesus, wrote letters like this, was faithful and true and was stoned and got back up and went into the city, was shipwrecked, snake-bitten, and didn't stop. For all the benefits that we have from a guy like Paul, probably one of the greatest benefits we have is that the guy prayed. We, we, we totally don't understand the world in which Paul lived because it was screenless. Do you know what screenless means? Like, no dinging, no vibrating. You can tell if you're addicted to your screen when you have like phantom vibrations in your pocket. You're like, whoa. And you check it and there's nothing there. He didn't Instagram it. He didn't hashtag it. He didn't tweet it. He prayed for it. He talked to people. He walked. He made tents. That's an incredible amount of time to be praying and processing stuff that we don't have anymore. In fact, we probably live in one of the most anxious societies in the world. If somebody asks me, which I get asked time to time, what's the greatest difference that you notice from New Zealand living outside of the United States and now living back in the United States? And I would tell them this, the most common response whenever you ask somebody how they're doing, they'll say, I'm busy. They'll say, I'm stressed. may not use this word, but what they're really saying is I'm anxious. And it's no wonder they're depressed. One of my roles besides overseeing residence life is also student care. I do all the health and wellness for the university. We partner with a Christian counseling organization off campus, and I meet with students. Christian students, not yet Christian students, pastors' kids, never heard of the church before kids, coming along to Jessup, and they're hurting. Not all of them, but some. Because there's something that happens when you leave home and you get into space, you're able to start a process and you're going through life and it's coming at you fast. And it's good to know there's people on the other end praying. Paul prayed. In fact, he went on to say in Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with it. Like, be aware. Have your antenna up that you might persevere, making supplication for all the saints. In Romans 12, 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, he writes to that church, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with it in thanksgiving. And so now I take you back to where we were at in New Zealand when God gave me this verse. I'd just gone surfing, because when you don't know what else to do, you might as well go surf, right? And um, I'm sitting at a cafe, and I've got my Bible, I'm sipping coffee, and I'm just like, I don't know what's going on in my life, but at least I got to go surfing and have really good coffee. So when in doubt, <laughs> I open God's Word, and He just starts speaking to my heart. 
Paul says, you know, I love you guys. You're faithful in verse 15. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 16, and then he starts praying for them in verse 17. And he says, may God, may God. What I want to do in the next few minutes that we have left here is just look at the words that Paul uses. Because when I'm sitting there, overwhelmed, and yet in a place where God has taken care of me, yet still, I have to understand that it's may God, and it may not. God may or may not. God is sovereign. God is God, capital G, capital O, capital D. He is on the throne, and it's his prerogative. And any knowledge that I want to know about my future and my circumstances, whatever is going on, comes from him. All knowledge comes from God. God's will, what I'm praying for, is God's prerogative. But it's may God of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, know Jesus. Jesus said the same thing. Philip one day, remember, Jesus is talking about going away and coming back. And Philip's like, man, this is petty stuff. If you just show us God, we'll believe you. (laughs) Think about that request for a moment. If you've ever been in those moments where you're just like spinning out, not knowing what's going on, you're just like, God, just show me yourself, right? We say the same thing Philip does. And Jesus looks at Philip and goes, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that was like the mic drop. (laughs) If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. May God of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Hebrews, the author writes the very first three verses of that book. He says these words. Long ago, and in a galaxy far, far away. No, he doesn't say that. He says, long ago, And at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance, the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Those are verses you can base your life on. That's a a solid, strong, light bulb on, foundational kind of core stuff. That's the kind of stuff you want to be surrounding yourself with when you don't know. Go back to what you do know. May God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. According to Hebrews there, Jesus is the exact imprint, literally the radiance of God's glory. He's the one that empowers us, illuminates our life gives light to our feet so we're not stumbling around. If any of you guys have had kids with Lego fetishes and matchbox cars, you know what it's like. It's a very dangerous pursuit to walk barefooted in the dark in your house. And we do the same thing in life. We bumble around with the lights off all the while light is being offered to us. I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier to get around when the lights are on than when they're not. He's the father of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 is one of my all-time favorite verses. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 1, God's creating ex nihilo out of nothing. Cre- just speaking light. Creating. And in the same way, it's that same power that's shining into our hearts now in the face, pictured perfectly in Jesus Christ. Amazing. 
Now may God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom. Man, we need it, right? The world is not as black and white as it used to be. The enemy is not clearly delineated with a color or a flag or representation. It's like, I don't know what's up and what's down. Everything's gray. It depends on if you're talking to this group, then I'm wrong and evil. But if I'm with this group, I'm right and good. That's the world in which we live. It's complicated. And so we need to pray for wisdom. James said, if any of us lack wisdom, let us ask of God and he's going to give it abundantly. God's not lacking in this department. In fact, he wants to give it freely. Wisdom of what? Of perceiving what is revealed. Perception as I counsel students and as I work with people from from more of a pastoral heart than more of a clinical sense. I'm not a psychologist, but from more of a pastoral heart, I always ask students, what is their perspective? I don't use that word. But I always go, what do, you th- what do you think about this? I never ask them why they do things. In the same way, I don't ask my kids, why did you do that? <laughs> I say, well, what do you think about that? How do it make you feel? Is that the kind of person you are? Is that the kind of person you want to be? When you start to ask those questions, you start to get un- like the layer beneath the layer, and that is, what do they perceive? Why are they in school? Why are they in life? Why are they doing, and what are they doing? Perception for most people is their reality. And so what I'm really asking is, what's your reality? What is really real? Now that's so subjective, right? <laughs> My reality is different than your reality. We're all good. Everything's good. Everything's relative. Everything's postmodern. Yay. And the reality is, is that there is objective reality. There is truth, capital T. And helping unpack some of that is what we need God's wisdom to reveal. Literally, like if this stage had a curtain right now and there was a, a set here, or there was a play going on, you wouldn't know it was on the stage until it was revealed to you, right? The book of Revelation literally has that connotation of the stage is set. Everything is in motion. You just can't see it yet. Pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom, of perception, your reality, so that it would be revealed to you. Not that God needs to create it or bend things, or do stuff to jump to our prayer requests, God just, like, let him reveal that to us. And trust that he's a good God, and that he's got good things planned. Here's a question for you. If what you believed right now wasn't true, would you want to know it? If what you believed right now wasn't true, would you want to know it? Somebody asked me that question that one time, and it messed with my head. It changed my reality. It said, take everything that you think you know and bring it before the Lord and let him reveal himself to you. And guess what? I found I had a lot of perceptions that weren't reality. And God began to change me. He began to bring me to a full knowledge of himself. That's God's goal, is to bring fullness to you. Not take away stuff or leave you fragmented that you would have all of his knowledge and ultimately a clear perception of the reality of God himself. And God uses your circumstances and he organizes your situations in life to reveal himself to you and reveal Jesus. Everything about my life, my circumstances is working to bring me to a fuller knowledge of Jesus. And I may not see it that way, but man, I want to pray that way because that's how Paul's praying, right? He's praying that 
the eyes of your heart or literally your mind would be enlightened. And I'm never going to see my situation or my circumstances unless God does that. I've gone through hard seasons in life. I've gone through a lot of question marks. And one time a good, well-meaning friend came to me and said, you know, I had a number of decisions before me. They were big, like real big. Like really, 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 really big. When you're single and it's like, it's just me, you just make calls and decisions, it's great. But when you're married, you're like, ah, and you've got kids and you're like, ah, ah. And then you're like not in your own country you grew up in. There's no family around. It's like, ah, 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 this is big. And the kids are in the back seat, right? And mom and dad are in the front and they're looking at you like you know what's going on and you know exactly what you're doing. And then your wife looks at you and she goes, I know you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) I know you better than that. And so we're praying, God, enlighten our eyes. This isn't a safe time to trust my heart. I, I, I don't know if my heart's even going to feel the same way it does at the, in the moment. This is an enlightenment in terms of the 17th, 18th Western Enlightenment European sense. It's not enlightenment like in an Eastern mysticism, Buddhist enlightenment of the cycle of rebirth. This is the enlightenment of seeing with God's light on by which you can see everything else. It's God, unless you enlighten me to the situation, I don't see anything clearly right now. Again, C.S. Lewis said, I believe Christianity as I believe the sun is risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I love that. It's such a great picture. And notice what Paul doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for his circumstances to change or theirs. He doesn't pray for the things like I would, like fix my problems, give me better health, more money, better job conditions, fix my relationships, etc., God, uh, Paul prays that we might know God. That's what he prays. He prays that you might know God better. Our home in New Zealand, uh, it was about 40 minutes from the Shire. Is there any like Lord of the Rings Hobbit fans out there? I know you're asking like, why would you ever? (laughs) Rockland, California. Nothing like the Shire. It's brown. It was 104 yesterday. It was awesome. Shire is beautiful. In fact, the whole country of New Zealand looks like this Shire. We live 40 minutes from there and read the books, of course, and kids have read the book, reading The Hobbit together and stuff. And th- There's a point in The Lord of the Rings where the main character Frodo is in the darkest part. It's towards the end, and he's about ready to give up, and he's just being crushed. In fact, he falls over, and all the lights are out. Surrounded by evil and wickedness and hate and pain. And he remembers that a friend gave him a gift, a light. And the friend said these words when the gift was given, may this be a light to you when all other lights go out. Sometimes you don't know what light is your real light until all the other lights go out. When you're in the dark and you're hurting and you're wondering why these things are happening and why God isn't intervening And God says, may I be the light to you and all other lights go out. What do you believe about me? God says in those moments. And God, and I just, in that moment when God gave me this verse and at that time I was just like, 
I'd like to know this and this and this. And God says, what do you really want to know? What light do you really want to have on? I said, God, hand on heart, I just want to know you. I just want to know that you're present right now in my life and in this situation. And by the grace of God, the lights begin to come on. And the shadows on the wall that were messing with me and keeping me in fear, I begin to see them, perceive them for what they really are because you can't have shadow unless there's a light behind it. Shadow implies light. And sometimes shadows look bigger than what they actually are. And he wraps up his prayer by saying this, so that you can see what hope his call holds for you. Do you know that your calling in Christ Jesus is full of hope? It's full of expectation of good to come. It's full of God's wisdom and it's full of God's plans and it's full of his purpose and it's full of knowledge of himself. I work at a university and we do a lot to instill knowledge and wisdom in the heads and hearts and minds of our students. But I love being an educator when it comes to where students live because they can say the right answers in the classroom, but it's a different game when you're in the trenches of a residence hall, (laughs) when you don't like your roommate or they stole your food or things are coming, the wheels are coming off. And that's where we come in and that's where we care and that's where we support and that is our heart because we can speak hope into those situations. Somebody that's super wealthy, healthy and wise, they're like, hope, what do I need hope for? I'm good. (laughs) You're good. I'm good. We're all good, right? Until you scratch the surface. You know what? Paul's basic answer for all of life's problems and perplexities is know God better. Know him in the hard stuff. Know him when Jesus gets into your boat without asking, by the way, and asks you to push out into the deep. And you're like, this is deep. And he says, hear my word and listen. You know, God's plan for you involves some of those perplexities, but it doesn't mean that his plan has gone away. God's plan is big enough for all of your problems and he's got purpose in your pain and the plan amongst the perplexities is something that is being woven behind the scenes that occasionally you get a glimpse of. But you know what? There's this question that I asked at the very beginning that I think we need to ask again. As you look at your life and as you've seen God's word here this morning that the Holy Spirit speaking to you I want to ask you, do you really believe what you really believe is really real? And wherever you're at right now, I'd just like to take the moment and the opportunity right now to pray for you. Pray for us. Pray for me. Together that God would reveal himself. I can think of no better way of doing that than just praying this prayer. So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? We want to pray this together. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give us a spirit of wisdom and perception of what he's revealing. May he bring us to a fuller knowledge of himself so that he may enlighten our eyes, our minds, and our hearts because we want to see that hope that his call holds for us in this place at this time. Father, I thank you for each and every heart in this room. 
If there's anyone here this morning that hasn't asked you to be the light of their life, I pray that they would. The light of their circumstances, the light of the challenges they might be facing, become the wisdom where they need it. Reveal to them you're working behind the scenes. Remind them again that they're your sons and they're your daughters. But I want to give anyone in this room the opportunity to pray that prayer, to ask Jesus to come into your life. So turn on the lights, literally. Trust me, it's easier to see what's going on when the lights are on. To turn and face the light instead of running towards the shadows. If that's you, just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Shine the light. I realize that I'm so full of brokenness caused by sin done by me and to me. I thank you, Jesus, that you came into this dark world as the light of the world, as John says in his gospel. I thank you that you took all of my sin upon the cross, upon yourself, and you dealt with darkness once and for all. And on that third day, you rose again to be the light of the entire world. Would you please, please, Jesus, be the light of my life? I pray this in his name. Amen. Guys, just with your eyes closed and heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time, would you just raise your hand? I want to give you the opportunity to respond. I'd love to pray for you. Anyone in this room? Father, I thank you for every heart in this place. As we go into our weeks, I pray that you would keep the lights on, that you would enlighten our minds, and that as we come to the various challenges and, and difficulties that lie ahead, Lord, we want to give you thanks in advance for next year at this time, for your faithfulness between now and next year at this time, so that if we ever get asked the question, where were you last year at this time, we can testify to your amazing grace and how good you are. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen.